Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi there, this is Walter Storholt, part of the production team at Third Wheel Media that puts together Beyond the Mask each week. We've been so thrilled to be working with Jeremy and Sharon for the past year and a half and have really enjoyed being a part of the CRNA community from behind the scenes. This is officially the 100th episode of the show. Although technically we passed that mark a few weeks ago because there were some shows labeled as bonus instead of giving them a number, but we won't worry about the semantics. So before we get to today's topic, we wanted to get the help of some of the past guests and friends of the show in thanking Sharon and Jeremy for bringing this podcast to fruition and contributing to the CRNA community in such a unique way. Congratulations on your 100th episode of Beyond the Mask. Hello, Sharon and Jeremy. This is Christy Hoke from Tucson, Arizona. And I just want to say congratulations on 100 episodes. This is Linda Stone, and I wanted to say congratulations on your 100th episode. Sharon and Jeremy, this is Jose Castillo. I would like to wish you a happy, happy 100th podcast anniversary. Sharon and Jeremy, this is John Petro. Congratulations on reaching 100 episodes. Congratulations on the 100th episode of Beyond the Mask. This is Angie Mund, and I want to wish you all congratulations on your 100th episode. What an accomplishment. I bet when you first started this adventure, you never guessed how popular your podcast would be. I'm very thankful and honored that you decided to include me amongst your guests. Sharon and Jeremy. Just wanted to congratulate you on your success with Beyond the Mask. Excellent. It's wonderful to see Sharon continuing her contributions to our profession and CRNAs need Jeremy's business contributions. I'm sure when you chose the name Beyond the Mask, you didn't have any idea what trendsetters you would be. For now, look at us. We are all wearing masks in our everyday lives to protect each other and ourselves. You were trendsetters then, You're trendsetters now, and you will be trendsetters in the future. Hey, Sharon and Jeremy, this is Joe Rodriguez, and I wanted to congratulate you on your 100th episode of Beyond the Mask. Thank you for making a podcast that is dedicated to our profession and to presenting all sides of so many interesting issues. First and foremost, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to share resources and information about the perioperative updates on the care for our transgender patients. Thank you for all you do to provide thought-provoking podcasts to healthcare providers all over the United States. The diversity and timeliness of topics has been especially remarkable. And thank you, Sharon and Jeremy, for asking me to participate in your Courage to Lead series. It's been a pleasure listening to all the stories of the ANA past presidents, and I enjoyed sharing my time with you. This is Jackie Rolls, 2009 ANA president and current International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists president. I just want to congratulate you on this wonderful accomplishment. It's amazing to me the amount of coverage you've had 
covering all the important topics for our profession, getting all the right people to speak, raising recognition, awareness, and knowledge of a lot of issues, challenges, opportunities, and successes of the nurse anesthesia profession. Again, congratulations. Keep up the good work. The podcast is smashing success and look forward to hearing many more in the future. You put us all at ease and I think you're doing just a great service to our profession. So again, thank you so much and congratulations. Take care and here is to many more episodes of Beyond the Mask in the future. All the best from Dan and Jack and Awesome. Once again, congratulations and I look forward to the next hundred. Best of luck with the next 100. I wish you a brilliant future and here's to 100 more episodes. I look forward to many, many more episodes and I'm so proud of both of you and even more happy to call you my friends. Congratulations. Can't wait to see what the future holds for both of you and for Beyond the Mask. Again, thank you. Best wishes and I know there's more to come. Okay, have a great day. Sharon and Jeremy, thanks again. Congrats on 100 episodes. We're looking forward to the next 100 with you. Now, let's get to this week's show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Sharon... What a special day. I know. I'm so excited. I know. I've been awake since 2.15 a.m. You know what is so funny? I was up at 3 this morning. No way. Yeah, I haven't slept since then. <laughs> I mean, I really haven't. That's kind of crazy. I went Gosh. ahead and went outside and walked this morning about 5 o'clock. Golly, I didn't do that. I just <laughs> stayed on my phone and researched stuff. So. Oh, well, maybe you're just smarter than I am. I did do a little bit of yoga. You know, the back is still bothering me oh. just a tad. So I'm doing well, a little bit of back yoga. at least you're standing upright and back your son yoga. isn't I'm standing to... up yes. and I'm sitting down. That's a good thing. Nice, nice. So Sharon, progress. I didn't think I'd ever get to say this to you. Okay. But happy 100th. Yeah. <laughs> episode <laughs> oh oh yeah i forgot about that part so today is our 100th episode i know and i I'm... mean did you think when you and i started talking about this at a meeting in charlotte north carolina we were bantering things back and forth that we'd be here today 100th episode top 50 medical podcasts in the country gosh this is crazy no way would i have dreamt it no me either 
and then Deb Flaherty sent in there and named our and, podcast. And, named and it for little us. did she know how prophetic Beyond the Mask although, would be in 2020. Although with Deb, I think maybe she might have a little bit of you know, yeah, future telling. She could, she, yeah. I mean, I could see that from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, I think we have an amazing guest today, and you (laughs) actually set this up with this wonderful, wonderful guest. I know, and I'm so excited. That's why I've been up since 2.15 this morning. (laughs) Uh, I figured you were thinking, gosh, this podcast is going to be 12 hours long because (laughs) me and this guest are going to talk the whole time, and then Jeremy's going to chime in talking about the economic stuff. Well, the first time I ever talked to her, we talked for two hours on the phone. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, without further ado, if I, could do I wish I had a drum roll. here, you know. <laughs> Walter, can you put in some drums or something for us here, you know? We have with us today... Shauna Butler. Shauna Butler. Shauna, welcome. Well, hello, you guys. It's about time I got to be a part of this fun party. <laughs> Sorry, we always banter back and forth, and sometimes I wonder if we do a little too much. We should have brought you into the banter. Yeah. Oh, I can banter with the best of them. Uh, you yeah. know what? That does not surprise me, <laughs> You know, I feel like me. I'm in the minority. You've got a great radio voice, and Shauna's voice is amazing, yeah, absolutely amazing. I've been listening to some of Shauna's podcasts. I'm like, wow. Thank you for that. Amazing. So Shauna is a registered nurse, and you have your MBA, mm-hmm. and you are a nurse economist and a health tech analyst. Catalyst. Catalyst. Yeah, I was going to say, there is a little bit of analysis going on yeah. there, but mostly it's more, it started out with enthusiasm. Then it became something that was a specialty, really getting into all of that. And I really think where I progress now is I am very much that catalyst. Like, how do we, how do we really think differently about our technologies and how they're impacting health and combining it with the economics and the clinical side of it? I mean, everything starts. I mean, every clinical interaction begins and ends with the nurse. And somewhere along that journey, we're going to meet some technology and there's always the economics involved in every bit of what we do. Oh, wow. So when we think about our careers, whatever it is that we do, we always have an area that we focus on. And my area of focus has been that intersection of clinical care, technology, and how do we build sustainable business models? What does the finance of all of this look like? And so much of the conversation for the last several years has really been about healthcare reform, healthcare transformation, healthcare innovation. And at the end of the day, until we really think about our business model and how we align our incentives and our financials to what we want those health outcomes to be, it's going to be really, really hard for us to have effective health transformation. Those things really go hand in hand. So that's really, you know, where those, for me, where those things intersect. And that's been a, an interest for all of my career, you know, that title of a nurse economist. But truthfully, when people ask me what I do, I'm a strategic troublemaker. Yeah. And actually, what was really funny is that when I started working in the Netherlands a couple of years ago, establishing one of their entrepreneurship programs, I was being interviewed by one of their journalists. And what's very funny is that 
when you take the English, I, he asked me, so what's your title? I said, well, strategic troublemaker, strategic <laughs> trouble, you know, all this other stuff. Well, when you put it into Dutch and then you turn it back into English, convert it back into English, it's strategic argument finder, <laughs> which doesn't have quite the same, um, <laughs> doesn't have quite the same playfulness to it. But I thought that that was, you know, it is, it's a really important difference. Are you there to pick an argument? Yeah. Or are you there, as John Lewis says, to make good trouble? And mm. I am here to make good trouble. I like that. Very good. Wow. Well, you hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, from my aspect, I'm always bringing up the economic impact, the financials, mm -hmm. because to me, so many of the issues that nurses and nurse anesthetists have fought against for years all boil down to one thing. Mm-hmm. And that is money. money. If you follow the paper trail, you'll find out where the problems are. It's um, called follow the money, not even the paper trail. Follow <laughs> the money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. But you know, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up, Jeremy. I always look at the economic impact, and I think we're seeing it more now than ever. And I've often said this idea that health is a nonprofit entity is not. It's not true. A nonprofit is a business that's gone out of business. <laughs> And we have to do things that are financially sustainable. Otherwise, we can't serve anybody. Our health systems, right. those doors close. And we are seeing that increasingly. And where it gets, you know, who gets hurt the most are rural communities, mm -hmm. communities of color, people who are on the margins. And so it is incumbent if we really are good stewards of health and our health systems, we have to be paying attention to the economics. And that's not only on a system basis, but also on a personal basis. When we talk to people about their care goals, you know, what do they want in life? And I've spent a fair amount of time on the oncology or end of life. And when you take a look at, when you explain to people, here's what your treatment options look like, and you start explaining to them, there are many economic costs. There's the dollar amount that you might spend. There's the time that you might spend. There's the energy. There's the mind share. And when you start asking people, what is it that is a good day for you? I mean, to quote Octul Gawande in all of his work. When you start asking people about that and you start looking at the economics, and economics aren't only measured in dollars, but they're in right. dignity, they're in human value, they're in time, they're in relationships. And that's one of the things that I think nurses are so fundamentally good at because when we talk about right. innovating for value-based care, you know, that business model, what nurses really are very good at, yes, we can do the numbers and we can look at a budget, we can figure out how much things cost, but we also have this ability to innovate on human values. How do we make sure that we are addressing somebody's sense of belonging, hmm. their sense of fear, their sense of inclusion? There's just so much that comes into that model, that economic model that we refer to as value-based care. Hmm. Well, what's interesting is we don't quantify nursing because nurses come with the room. Hmm. Think about that. Oh, my goodness, Sharon. I was going to say the amount of time that I've spent mm -hmm. as the economist side of me going back into that. What happens when we are looking at a balance sheet in a financial situation? 
we love revenue. We want to drive revenue. What do we do with cost? We want to try to minimize cost. We want to try to cut them. And the physician workforce, the way we bill for those services, activity-based billing, that's been a physician area. So most health systems, of course, they want to build that out. Nurses have always been on the cost center side. Mm -hmm. If you talk with any health system, their major expense that they consider expense. So don't think of it as a revenue driver. And when you're the value and the contribution clinically and economically is lost because it's not even costed out. Your services, your innovation, your work becomes really invisible. And when you're invisible, then you're not in the conversations about how are we going to price this? Mm-hmm. How are we going to charge for this? What are the cost benefit ratios? There's just so many things that when you are not line itemed out and right. clearly delineated on the business value, the economic value, the clinical value, all of those things, when they are not listed, you don't get to contribute to the conversation. It just becomes really invisible. And then it perpetuates the undervalue, the undervaluation of what nurses bring to the health experience, the outcomes. What do you see as an answer to that problem? Because we all know that it's a problem, but what is a solution? I think it starts with nurses getting a much better set of business skills. I think a lot of this is a business case. And so when you start understanding the economics of care and we take a look at, we have a budget that we're going to spend, a set of outcomes that we want to achieve. What are the ways that we're going to put that budget together? And everybody does this instinctively. We do this at home. We do this working with our kids. We do this in our businesses. And the the budgets just get bigger and bigger. But if you start just chopping off zeros, it doesn't become quite as intimidating. Mm -hmm. You know, the line items grow. But I do think that one of the most important conversations or the most important approaches is really for all the people who are in the healthcare ecosystem, for us to start putting together and looking at our business models and really understanding what our costs are, what our drivers are. And at the end of the day, it goes back to what I said earlier. Until we align our financial incentives to the desired health outcomes, we're going to have a really hard time innovating toward that. And most of the time, I mean, I spend a lot of time, obviously, with these technology companies and startups and some of the very earliest questions. What's your business model? Who's Mm going to pay for this? And so these technology companies and new approaches, when you are designing and innovating into a broken financial model, one that has misaligned incentives, and some of them very perverse incentives, whatever Mm -hmm. that innovation is, whatever business model you put back behind it, at the get-go is altered. (laughs) I was going to use a a word that I shouldn't use on the radio. (laughs) 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 It's just, it's just completely misaligned. And so it makes it really hard. And when we think about, you know, our health system, you know, you ask that question, like, what is it that we need to fundamentally do? The first thing that we need to fundamentally do is we need to value health, not health care. Nobody wants more care, actually, unless you really need it. What people want is more health. And we have a economic and a financial system that rewards care and activity, not really outcomes. And so when we start doing that and we value actually health and the absence of disease and prevention of disability and death with dignity, we're going to start paying for different things, which means we're going to be paying for a different group of people to do those things. 
And, you know, Jeremy, when you said follow the money, yes, there is a lot of turf battles. There's a lot of situations Mm -hmm. where where people want to hold on to what they've got right now. But there is that part of it. Nobody wants to lose income. And you know what? When you've worked hard and you've invested and you've taken risk and you deserve to be rewarded, there's nobody that wants to take that away. But I think what becomes the part that's harder to discuss is when people lose their identity, their status, their influence, their social networks. And so we, you know, we can make the business case. I mean, that business case has been made over and over and over and over again about the value that nurses, nurse specialists give. You go to other countries where everybody's working at the top of their license. I mean, the only place in the world where obstetricians deliver healthy babies is the U.S., Everybody else uses midwives. You know, there's so many different models. So we know that they're safe and their clinical values. But what we haven't addressed is how does this tie into somebody's identity, their ability to make decisions, to be in control? And so until we really address some of that, we can certainly have the very valid arguments and studies and approaches that help us to better align the business model. But until we really address the power dynamics, I think it's going to be very hard. And until we get to a place of we are all on the same team and we are in this together, we take care of the same people with the same set of problems in the same places. And we don't measure teams. We don't compensate teams. We pit ourselves against each other. And I think that that is a fundamental shift that needs to be made in order for us to really move beyond the dynamic of who gets paid a certain amount for a certain procedure, who owns that procedure. Well, you know, in the United States, the patriarchy is alive and well. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, the U.S. healthcare system in general is so fragmented. I mean, over the years, they've done all this patchwork. It reminds me Mm -hmm. of a quilt. Yeah. You know, we did one little change here and a change here and a change there. And all these fragmented parts have come together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And along the way, everybody's figured out how to put their hand in the cookie jar and what's best for me and what's best for Mm -hmm. me and how do I make this work for me? And that's part of the problem as well is, you know, yes, we've somehow got to come together and Shauna, like you said, work as a team, incentivize team, but that's hard when people have their hands in the cookie jar and then there's so much money greasing the wheels in Washington to keep things the way they are. So, and that's another whole side of this as well. I know we could probably talk about that forever too. It takes leadership that is courageous, yes. that is decent, that is moral, that is focused on we, and that, I, I mean, courage is Where the hardest part. Where is that part. at, Shauna? Because I haven't seen any of that, you know? I mean, um, it's been a while since I've seen leadership like that, but uh, it's all about the votes, you know? So Now, now mm-hmm. Shauna, you're an amazing person. Tell us a little bit about your podcast, because you have the best podcast voice I've ever heard, number one. Oh, thank and you. number two, gosh, do that again. <laughs> podcast is is about being nestled in someone's ear you know you're uh-huh. telling them a story and they they're looking for that companionship so yeah. the see you now podcast it is a podcast that is focused on health innovation it's a storytelling podcast let me start out with that it's a storytelling podcast that's really focused on health innovation and the human-centered design and the solutions very specifically that nurses are bringing to to our playground, you know, all of the different places where we live, work, pray, and play. And this podcast came about, it's done in partnership with Johnson & Johnson and the American Nurses Association. 
so a lot of my work has been focused on technology innovation. And I got started, uh, my very first project that really opened my eyes and, and really pushed me into this exciting area of technology was a digital radiology project. And in this, it was the very first a group to adopt using digital radiology. It was in New Zealand. And we had a business case for why we were going to do this. But it was after it was implemented, and it's the only implementation that I've ever been in that literally was flawless. And because that was so much good planning, so many people from all the different touch points of a digital radiology experience, they were all involved with that. And when it came online, what we saw was that Yes, it met all of the business case needs, but it fundamentally changed how we practiced, where we practiced, who got to practice, and the things that we were able to do that we would have never imagined. So we were always worried about the unintended consequences, but we never really looked at the unexpected gains. Mm. And so it was this moment of when we think about today, we think about working collaboratively or working remotely. This was a long time ago at this point. Mm -hmm. And it was this, I mean, we talk about collaborating remotely and in real time. If you had a bad x-ray, you'd have to send somebody back and have them, you know, have the study be done. And it was like, mm -hmm. you know, let me just change the uh, contrast on there. Let me zoom in on this. Let me rotate it. We were able to do things in fundamentally different ways. And it really changed my perception. So I got much more involved with technology projects. And what I found was that I was the only clinician and really I was the only nurse. And I had a point of view and a level of experience that was completely missing. I saw these technology folks working on technologies and technology problems, whether they were using virtual reality or voice recognition or robotics and stuff like that. And they were like, this is a really cool toy. Like, yeah, but what problem are you actually solving? You know, if you come and meet with my colleagues, they will give you a hundred pain points in a shift of things that are not working for them. Mm. So why don't we bring those things together? So I got more involved with that. And then I became really on this movement in this mission of why are there nurses not included in these technology projects and technology conversations? And that took me on this global search for all of those nurses, what I refer to as entrepreneurs, those nurses mm -hmm. who were driving and activating change. And all of these things really lined up nicely with Johnson & Johnson rethinking their innovation platform. And they have three different pillars that they're working on. One is the quick fire challenges, which are a broad global casting call of finding nurses who are driving innovation in very specific domains, whether it's maternal newborn child, whether it's mental health, whether it's surgical. So they are doing this broad casting call for that. Then they also put together their innovation fellowship, which are we're those group of nurses that when we invest in them over time and give them a set of skills, that they can be change agents in their system. You know, we're, we're giving them, they've got very strong clinical skills. There's a part of those business skills, leadership skills, innovation skills, and practices. Let's invest in them and have them start being change agents within their system. Now, the last part is we got to tell this story really well. Mm -hmm. So when they approached me about doing this, I was like, you had me at hello. <laughs> I have been running all over the globe, finding these nurses who are driving change, who are seeing and solving problems. But part of this is, is that what I learned is that the vast majority of people have no idea what nurses do. Yes. They really mm -hmm. don't. And what they do have is a very narrow portrayal. So they see nurses, we have made progress because they're not wearing a white starched uniform <laughs> with a cap. We're now in scrubs, True. but we're still, it's generally a white female pictured at the bedside 
of a patient in a hospital who's sick and there is some photograph that catches them showing them just how much they care. Right. Now that Holding is all hand, incredibly true. Yes. Incredibly true. Yeah. But what that story leaves out is nurses as innovators, as scientists, as leaders, as policymakers, as researchers, as activists. And nurses are on every field. If you go into, I mean, we started our careers in the most dangerous and hostile environments out on battlefields. We continue mm-hmm. to do that. But there are nurses on soccer fields, in truck stops, in churches, homeless shelters, refugee camps, you name it. There is a nurse there. And those are the things that people do not know. And to your point, Sharon, when you asked me about how are we going to make some changes, unfortunately, nurses are not able to make these changes all by themselves. We need to have non-nurse champions. We need to have policy folks, people who understand the economics of healthcare to recognize that nurses not only drive clinical value, but they drive economic value and they are program drivers and problem solvers. And so they just haven't cast nurses. They're very comfortable putting them in a direct care role. They haven't really recognized them in very senior executive leadership roles at the system level, at the policy level. And one of the things that we keep working on in healthcare system is we want to have really strong clinicians and we want to have them go out and fight the good fight. And that's what we refer to as beating the odds. But it's not until we move further upstream and get nurses into policy making roles and program roles where we're going to change the odds. So we need to fundamentally shift our system so that we're driving help. And that's what the See You Now podcast is really about is understanding these big, huge, challenging problems and who are the people behind them, seeing them and solving them. And oftentimes people haven't realized those are nurses doing that. So the See You Now podcast is really meant to help bring people, a lot of people into the conversation Mm -hmm. because as much as healthcare professionals would like to be the heroes and solve all of this, no one discipline can do this independently. We're going to need city planners. We're going to need environmentalists. We're going to need poets. We're going to need filmmakers. We're going to need data scientists. And so that's really the goal is to help broaden the understanding and bring a lot more people into the conversation and into that story where they can see themselves in it and give them a tool of advocacy for that particular challenge, whether it's making sure that babies are born more safely, we're taking care of our homeless population better, we're having surgeries that are safer and survivable, you name it. If there's a problem out there, there are nurses who have researched it, are working on it, innovating it, and solving it in some really clever ways. You know, I always hear Sharon say, if you're not at the table... You're on the menu. You're on the menu. menu. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the political side of this, I mean, to me, politicians have also held back the nursing industry because of policy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still an idea of nurses and nursing and our nurse anesthetists. I mean, you're starting to see it break out a little bit, but it's almost like that 1950s nurse who was by your bedside and, like you said, wore a little white uniform. And it's been really slow to change. Do you think that if nurses were more involved politically that this would help? And I know this is right up Sharon's alley here, so <laughs> kind of leading her well, into this. Well, so, so the short answer is absolutely, <laughs> like with multiple exclamation points behind that. So 
as I mentioned, one of the things that I do is I spend a lot of time scouring for those nurses that are driving innovation. And that was one of the ways that I really got excited about what Sharon is doing was when I learned about the Yale Candidate School. So yes, I have been a huge proponent. I knew about Bethany Hall Long for a while. Mm -hmm. She and I have a couple of uh, colleagues in common in uh, Sheila Burke and Sue Hassmiller. So there are a lot of those careers that I have been following, but it was really getting to know Sharon's story a lot better. And more importantly, it's not just what Sharon's doing, it's what Sharon is enabling so that Mm -hmm. others can be involved with this. And I think one of the really important parts is when we talk about the candidate school, oftentimes people think, oh, that means I need to run for office. Yes, and, and not necessarily. What that means is, and I have a hashtag that I use all the time, nursing is political. And if I were to rewrite a curriculum, I would put a lot more in there about nursing being political. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about policy, I think people get very honed in on that when we talk about policy, we're thinking about federal policy or state policy. There are institutional policies. There are within our own practices. There are so many different ways for us to affect change. I mean, the last couple of um, years while I've been in Europe, it was very interesting to see across the board, the laws allow for the scope of practice for nurses to be quite broad, and particularly the, the nurse practitioners, nurse anesthetists, quite broad. While the state and the country would allow that, their institution would not. Right. So, you know, that's where when we talk about policy, I don't want people to think, I got to go run for an elected office. It might mean that within your unit or within your community or within the school that you attend, what are the policies that look at diversity, that look at inclusion, that look at the safety standards, the products that we're going to review and use? How are we bringing new technology integrations? There are so many different ways to think about policy. So I just want to make sure that when we expand that, you know, you asked that question, Jeremy, do we need to have more nurses in Washington? Hell yes. Um, <laughs> and and we need to have them in the state capitals. <laughs> yep. right. And we need to have them on the city departments. And right now, I'm hoping that people are listening. They need to be on the coronavirus task force. You know, when there mm-hmm. are nurses not, and it's, you know, that phrase about if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. It's not just being at the table. It is being a decision maker. It is having a budget and a team that is going to help you to be successful. And on on top of that, then accountability. So I hear this phrase a lot, you know, nurses need a voice. I have a voice. Most of the nurses that I know, we have a voice. What we don't have often is a budget, decision-making authority. And if we're going to have that table and we wanted to break it down based on any number of factors – how many nurses there are relative to the rest of the workforce, if we did it proportionate, if we did it based on the amount of time that nurses spend with patients taking care of them, if we, you know, there are many, many ways. There would be a lot more nurses at those tables. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it would be other people asking, can I come and be on the table? Right, right. So, so there's, there's a lot that, you know, I just, again, I think the importance of the storytelling is we have allowed the media and other people to write that story. And nurses, I think one of the big opportunities that nurses have, there are Mm -hmm. certain things that nurses can't do, but there's a lot that nurses can. And a big part of that is how do we become better storytellers, content creators, media makers? And 
oftentimes nurses want to have other, you know, they're waiting around for the permission or for other people to, you know, can we do this? That can't happen. I think nurses need to take much more ownership of if I don't like something, I can do something about that. Right. Well, you know, nurses don't see themselves in those roles. Exactly what you said earlier. And one thing that I've always said is you have to see it to be it. And that's one thing yeah. I appreciate about your podcast, because it does highlight nurses who are in the forefront, who are indeed these innovators. So why don't you tell us about some of the neat things that nurses are doing now to innovate? Sure. One of my favorite and so on topic right now is Melody Butler. So she's a nurse that's an infection preventionist and really focused on infection control. And she has a huge advocacy network that she's built that's called Nurses Who Vaccinate. And she's got the Twitter handle Nurses Who Vax. And one of the things that she has been working on is building vaccine confidence. And what she has mm-hmm. done is she's built, I mean, she, the first thing that she recognized was where are people getting their information? And she realized so many people who were getting their information about vaccines, they're getting them on the internet at two and three in the morning when they're awake, worried about like, what's the right thing to do? So she put together this conversation and made sure that nurses who um, know how to have conversations and how to build trust made them available at any point in time to answer questions, to build a relationship, to point people in the right direction to get their information. So this coalition that she's built about nurses who vaccinate under and like I said under the hashtag nurses who vax right now we have never needed that more we've mm-hmm. we've got to help people get really familiar and comfortable and excited about the vaccine that's coming but also making sure that we don't have people get behind on the vaccines that we do have I'm right. worried right now about measles elimination status and when I see Melody and all of the nurses who are part of that they are really on the forefront of that. So that's one. Another one that I think is, is kind of fun and of the moment right now, I mean, who knew that masks were going to be the topic of 2020? You know? We had but a vision, they, the, you know, beyond the mask. <laughs> we, we, knew this. we knew this was coming, you know. Yeah, so um, <laughs> there's a nurse by the name of Abby Hess, and she works at Cincinnati Children's. And she is in their pediatric surgical unit. And one of the things that she found was mask anxiety. And so we haven't, you know, <laughs> there's this general public mm-hmm. mask anxiety, but there's this very specific use of making sure anesthesia induction goes well, and particularly with kids. So her, her insight was seeing how kids were so frightened by all of, you know, this mask being put on, mm-hmm. their parents moving away, they're in this crazy environment, things feel really unsettled to them. And when you didn't have a good induction, what happens when they wake up? You know, it's not necessarily smooth. And there are long lasting consequences that she found with that. So she developed a game, a breathing apparatus and gamified it so that people could start, particularly kids, could start playing this game and developing a comfort level with a mask. Well, it was very specific for this use within anesthesia induction for children. But so many other people have seen, how do we use this to help people manage their anxiety? How do we use this for adults who have cognitive delays? How do dentists use this to help people? So it's been very interesting to see where she saw one problem, planted the seeds, and then it's gone to other places. 
and driving innovations that way. I think one of the other ones that's kind of fun is where we're seeing gamification. So there's a nurse by the name of Anna Sort, and she's in Spain, and she has been building games and apps to help people manage their, to improve their health, whether it's GI health, whether it's how do you um, talk to somebody, how do you gamify diabetes to better manage your diabetes? And one of the other problems that she's really been addressing with the government there is sexually transmitted diseases. So she gamifies how you have that conversation to notify somebody that, you know, they've been exposed and maybe you want to go get tested. So we're seeing nurses who are coming up with, I think that the pandemic has really spurred the innovations that nurses are driving. Nurses who are looking at how do we manage social and physical distancing in homeless shelters and make sure that we don't have the coronavirus spreading rampantly through an already vulnerable community. And so figuring out how we're using telehealth better. I think some of the other ones right now is the entire experience of being pregnant. How are we addressing maternal health needs? What are we doing as far as helping and support moms with their breastfeeding? So Siggy Marmestein, she's got a, um, a company called Baby Live Advice, and they are being able to deliver through the internet all of the prenatal classes, the postnatal classes, breastfeeding support, social work, managing postpartum depression, but being having a live person connected to you to travel through throughout your, your pregnancy course and into those new mm-hmm. months of parenthood, which have just become incredibly challenging at this moment in time. So there are so many things, problems, challenges that were existing, but then the ones that existed, now we've got this added layer of how do we do it in a remote, physically distanced way. And I have to say, I am just in awe of all of these, first of all, I'm in awe of how many problems there are. It's mm. not until you start talking right. with nurses that you appreciate the full range of humanity and how people experience life. People who have children with special needs, families who are managing a teenager with a cancer diagnosis, elderly people with Parkinson's who are living in different areas. It's, it's, it's just mind-blowing. But then you see this group of nurses who not only understand it, but they are committed to coming up with a solution and they get excited about working on this problem. And that is uplifting in a moment when oftentimes I really need to be uplifted. (laughs) Sean, I hear the excitement in your voice about this, and I'm sure there's thousands of scenarios that you have seen. What about technology? Because technology is changing everything we touch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How is it changing and helping the nurse? In a lot of ways. And I have this phrase that I use, technology changes who does what, when, and where. And if we think about just like point of care diagnostics, and I use a pregnancy exam as as the best example because a lot of people know about that. So it used to be that in order to get a pregnancy test, you'd have to go somewhere to a lab after somebody ordered it for you. They would be in charge of running that test and then giving you that answer back. Well, now with all of the different types of microfluidics and different types of test strips, you go to the grocery store on your own, pick it up. You take care of not only running the test, but interpreting the test. So the technology changed who does it, 
where yeah. it gets done, mm-hmm. all of those other pieces. I mean, you might and do so, it like eight different times just to make sure, but you can still mm-hmm. do it, right? Yeah, and if you're 15, yeah. you don't have to tell your mom and well, dad. Well, yeah, there yeah. you yeah. go. They're so, yes, it just rapidly changes that. And we're seeing that with rapid strep tests. We've done that with right. HIV tests. And right now, what we're trying to do that is with COVID testing, mm-hmm. because that's one of the really big challenges. So what happens when we get these fast rapid, easy, and affordable tests, you know, how does that change how that helps a nurse in their practice? So think about in the surgical environment that that most of your audience is listening to, a big piece of surgical preparation right now is the testing part. So we got to make sure what your COVID status is before you come in. So that technology would dramatically change how we're going to be able to um, manage that case, schedule that case and deliver Mm -hmm. that case. When we think about prehabbing, getting somebody ready for their surgery, increasingly we're using virtual reality. You know, right now we can't bring new moms or expected moms into the hospital to walk them through to show you here's what the obstetric suite looks like. We can't bring people into an OR to say, you know, before your hip replacement or shoulder or whatever, you know, I want you to meet and see what this looks like. With virtual reality, I can take you on that tour. Mm -hmm. You can meet Sharon. We can see and she's going to show you here's what the mass is going to look like. All of those things that we do to prepare or to prehab. I mean, the prehabbing is, did you quit smoking? Do you need help with that? Do you need to be walking more? We can have chatbots. We can have virtual reality. We can be doing it remotely. We can do it you know, in person remotely. So the technology is changing all of that. And when you think about post-op, how are we using our data and our sensors to be able to look at what's somebody's fluid status? Did somebody get up and walk around? And so we're able to use sensors and use that data to look at a whole group of people. And then what it helps is that nurse managing a post-op situation. Not only do I have a sense of who's doing what, but then when I need, I know I need who I need to call that day to check in. And when I check in on them, I know what I need to check in on them about. Looks like you're not breathing so well. How does it feel walking around? I'm a little bit concerned about your fluid status, you know, or we can see somebody's got a temp that's going up. So these technologies between the sensors and the data allow us to deliver care to one individual to prioritize it. But then also what I get really excited about is population. You know, when we start taking a look at how many people are doing a Google search for symptom, you know, they've got a cough. You know, they've got a fever, whatever. So when we're starting to look at the data on just search, I mean, right now, how are we figuring out spread or transmission of coronavirus? We're looking at phone data. We're able to see where people are moving around. That really helps us to manage our public health efforts. So I could go on and on. I mean, I've given you a fair number of examples. But what I will say is that technology is dramatically changing who does what, when, and where. And I developed that, you know, understanding a couple of years ago, but in the most recent, you know, in the last two years, I've changed that phrase. It's technology and policy changes who does what, when, and where. Technology creates what's possible. The policy creates what's permissible. And oftentimes we've got a whole lot of technologies that allow us to do a whole lot of things. The policies oftentimes create the artificial barriers. And when I think about access to care, you know, if somebody said, you know, what what are some of the your three wishes? One of my first wishes is we need to really think a lot better, a lot more smart about our policy around scope of practice. I mean, I know that that's something near and dear to your heart, yeah. but that is an artificial barrier. And the fact is, I don't 
so much need a cardiologist oftentimes to read an EKG. I've got an AI who's doing it pretty well. Same thing with radiology. Mm -hmm. And these technologies are not going to replace any one of the specialties. I hear that all the time. But what it helps us to do is for us to bring that human element for us to do it better. It augments what we do. And this phrase of, you know, AI is not going to replace a radiologist, but the radiologist who doesn't use AI is going to re be replaced by the radiologist who does use an AI. Right. So when we've got these, when we're using AIs and we're, I'm sorry, artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence, as we like to say within the group that I manage, the exponential medicine group, when you combine that, and it's not any one technology, it's the convergence. It's when you take a look at what's possible on your phone, when you're using an accelerometer, a camera that can start reading, you know, when you're when you do a, a urine dipstick and it can sense that and it can put all of those pieces of information together and then you can go out to crowdsource having somebody read an EKG. You know, all of these, it's bringing all of those things together, each one of these technologies. And then imagine we start bringing drones in to actually deliver things and we're going to be using drones and robots mm -hmm. a lot more in this physically distanced moment and i think we need to get smarter about that because right now we are losing our greatest asset and resource in healthcare and that is our nurses and our clinicians and those people who are becoming infected and if we don't infect them we're going to burn them out because we're asking them to do way too much. So I think we need to look at technology and be really smart about how it removes friction because oftentimes when we haven't had clinicians involved in the design and the implementation of technologies, we've added things that add layers of just work that makes us crazy and moves us further away from the human connection that is really at the core of how care can really be healing. You know, you talked before we started taping and we were talking about how nursing needs to look outside of nursing more. And clearly this is what you do. I mean, your brain is, <laughs> is so geared for that. Sometimes I feel like I'm not that creative in that regard. But, you know, thinking about drones, my son builds drones for the military so i, you I think know about a lot it a little about, bit I, I, well <laughs> i think about drones a lot because they're everywhere around my house still but give nurses some thoughts about that and how to look at the world differently i guess yeah so a big part of my insight around developing the entrepreneurs i mean the story back behind that is as I mentioned, I've been spending a lot of time with technology companies. And the, the shocking thing to me, and in the early stages, somewhat offensive, I have to say, all of these startups and these entrepreneurs, they would be coming in with a really great idea for how you manage diabetes or breast milk storage, or all these you know, really, interesting, really interesting problems that they were solving. And I kid you not, they had zero healthcare background, absolutely none. And I was like, uh, hello, like, right. <laughs> you know, who are you over here solving this problem? But when they would describe the problem to me and their solution, I was looking at it thinking, this is really brilliant. And what I understood is while they have zero healthcare background, what they have is 100% healthcare frustration. Mm. They knew the problem really well. And so by being an engineer or somebody who was in logistics or somebody who was working with sound engineering and design or sensors, they had a different set of tools. 
So they came at the problem. We're used to it in the, in the healthcare space. We come at it through the biomedical model. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody who is over in transportation and you work with UPS or you are a chef and you're managing a cook line, you know, those types of things, they have a different set of tools and skills. And so that's when I started to realize all these entrepreneurs, they're just misspelling the word. It's actually entrepreneurs. <laughs> and when you engage like the that. people who are closest to the gaps in care, that's when you marry this, yes, you've got a really interesting solution where it frequently doesn't, where it doesn't flourish is because it really hasn't appreciated the entire workflow. And then also, oftentimes when they're solving that problem, it's a very narrow set of problems that they're solving it for. And it might work really well for a 12-year-old. But if you've got a woman in their childbearing years or somebody who's in puberty or they have had a past history of cancer or something like that, there's some of these technologies like, well, hang on a second. you know. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have the nurses involved with that, they can't realize the solution's full potential. But what I did see is they were bringing in a set of skills and they were using a set of tools that I have never been exposed to. I did not understand sensors. I did not understand the importance of 4G and 5G. I did not understand the role of robotics or CRISPR technology, any of these other blockchain. That's another huge, Mm. huge, huge, huge. It's going to change the way we do things, the way the internet has changed the way we do things. But You don't have to be an expert in any of these other things, but what you do need to know is how to use the technology. I don't code. I don't know how to build the internet, but I certainly know how to use it. And so when nurses are exposed and brought in to use these different tools, and then they see, oh, I understand the feature set of all of these tools. Here's a problem that has a similar feature set. What if we use drones? What if we use robots? Mm-hmm. What if we tried to do this remotely? And so when you don't have awareness or facility with the tools, you will never use them to figure out how to solve your problem. One of the things that I think is so important and why nurses are so good at innovation is because they are closest to the suffering. Mm. And suffering mm. is what it becomes I have to do something. It's this driver. And so when they're really close to the suffering, they want to do something to alleviate it. And that's why they move with a sense of urgency. So they'll try anything. You know, they're willing to experiment. And so when somebody says, hey, have you, you know, have you tried welding this together? Have you tried a 3D printer? Have you, you know, like, no, but show me how to do it. So they're very agile in their learning. And the reason why they are is because they know how much somebody is suffering. And that really drives them to be a good problem solver. So by going out and to be in these places, what I refer to is where you're new, novel, and sometimes you've even been forbidden. I talk about what I think is really important to do is find that thing that is really frustrating to you and then a technology that is really interesting to you and find the intersection of those two and start problem solving there. And so if you are concerned about refugees, if you are concerned about the environment, if you are concerned about surgical safety, you know, what are the things that you're seeing? And if you know about these other technologies, how might you use data? How might you use sensors? How might you use robots? You know, all these different things that are out there that if you knew about them, you could start working with them or bring people in who are very good at working with them to help you solve that problem. You know, Shauna, we work with a lot of independent contract nurse anesthetists who are extremely mm-hmm. bright, extremely smart. 
But you know, you what can't I, get to where they are without being absolutely, absolutely. Smart. I mean, they're laid back, type B personalities. Right. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm married oh, yeah. to one. You know, so um, never argumentative or, uh, right. or anything. Oh, they like they that. have no opinions. None, none, none whatsoever. No. No, they don't yeah. want to be in control of everything. I mean, you know, <laughs> but but what I do find is that, and I'm sure it's the same with other APRNs out there, is that there's a lack of confidence an amazing lack of confidence when it comes to being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur CRNA, an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. An and, innovator. An innovator. But yeah, but it's yeah. almost back to your point earlier, nurses aren't trained to be business people. And that is a huge issue mm-hmm. right now that I see in everything you're saying is mm-hmm. that where are they going to get that background? Maybe it comes from the things that you're doing, the things that Sharon is doing, but formally there needs to be a formal education on those policies to get them more comfortable and, and to tell, you know, CRNAs, nurses out there that, you know what, you can do this. You can operate your own business. You this person's doing it, kind of to your point, Sharon. You know, you see that you, person. You've and got to see it to you be gotta it. you got to see it to be it. So what is your take on that? Because I see it all the time. You know, it's amazing that they look at what I do as rocket science, and I look at what they do as rocket science. But I think that a lot of CRNAs, a lot of nurses out there, could be really good business folks if they would just have the background there. They're smart. They can do it. They just got to have the opportunity and the skill set. Yes. And so I've been, I think about that a lot, as you might imagine. Um, and I think it's confidence, competence, and connections. I think that that's where it starts I like with. I couldn't so tell you the, thought about the, that before. Yeah. So the confidence <laughs> comes from people using a different language. Because I think for the most part, nurses, we don't think about them as talent that is to be developed. And, you know, we, we don't use that talent acquisition model. We think about it in terms of employees who are hired to perform and manage tasks. That's a big part of it. So it's stay in your lane. And there's a little bit of inherent tension between innovation because we are not in nursing and in healthcare in general. Rapid experimentation <laughs> is a really tough thing from the standpoint of yeah. we don't want to have anybody, you know, failure is not good. So we've got to get into a language that allows us to be really comfortable with safe experimentation and rapid iteration and how do we improve that. So there's, there's a language that creates the confidence that says you can do this. And that comes from a leadership portion, having champions within your system. And it, it is very much a language. And then there's the competence. So now that I've said to you, you can totally do this. I'm going to support you in doing it. You absolutely should do it. You know, the permission part and the encouragement. Mm-hmm. Then there is the competence. Okay, so you need to learn how to use a 3D printer. Let's get you up to speed on, you know, how you might develop an app. You know, do you need to be working with a coder? Do you want to start using data so you can start looking at big, huge analytic packages? You know, and you don't have to know all that stuff. But we, you know, we got to get you, get you skilled. And then it's the connections. Where do I go next? I've seen this problem. I think I've got this idea about how we might use a robotic or I think we could use virtual reality to train people to do certain things or to manage their pain a little bit better, but I don't know where to go next. And so it's putting people in that innovation ecosystem and connecting them to that group of people. And increasingly, where we're going to make a fundamental change is we need to go back to our core curricula. And nurses have several advantages in in innovation, and one of them is just sheer numbers. They're just more of us. And a lot of people don't realize we're the fastest license to the patient. Mm -hmm. 
So when you think about these technologies, a lot of them are really new. We're all on a level playing field and we're trying to learn about them together as a community. So when you combine the fastest licensed to the patient with sheer numbers and volume and you start putting into curriculum to say, all right, let's take a look at how would we do this in a virtual environment? How would we use data to better manage this? How are we going to use a digital approach to these things? When we start including that as a, in addition to, not as opposed to, but in mm -hmm. addition to, you need to understand and be really clear on your physiology, your pathology, your pharmacology, your psychology, all of that other stuff. But then there's this other piece of let's start thinking about policy on this, the politics, so that you can know how to build a business case. Right. How do you build a financial model or how do you make mm -hmm. a business pitch? It doesn't have to be you know, this uh, business plan, but it's one of those, here's the size of the problem. Here's how much it's costing us when we don't address it. I think we should be doing this, give this a try. And if we do this, we're going to get safer. You know, It's going to be safer and we're probably going to save a whole lot of money. And that money that we save here is how we're going to fund this innovation. And so I want to be able to go over and do these things and work with this group of people. So it's in that core curriculum when we are bringing our next generation of licenses into the practice field, giving them that core set of skills. And I think that group of people, it's really hard to go back to your existing workforce because they're busy taking care of people mm -hmm. and say, now I'm going to give this other set of skills. But because we are all learning together at the same time, it's a very interesting level playing field. You know, Sharon and I have been at this, you know, nursing thing for a couple of decades now. But when it comes to learning how to use TikTok to reach people, <laughs> right? okay, my best teacher is going to be a 14-year-old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, and if you're trying to figure out how do you download and integrate apps and make sure that when we're collaborating on a process, we're working across these different platforms, you know, we're communicating on Slack or we're using Dropbox or we're using Google Sheets or right. we're coordinating our schedules. I have a feeling that my colleagues who are half my age are going to be the people who are going to teach me best. So, you know, there's a certain degree, I think one of the the points where we're resistant to this is wanting to be a continual lifelong learner and coming to this with a place of humility. There are a lot of things that I know, and there are even more that I don't know. <laughs> and so if we can get around our own egos and get a lot more comfortable that I'm not here to teach you how much, show you how much I know, I'm much better off working with you in a way that shows you how much I want to learn. And I think intellectual humility is a really undervalued resource when it comes to innovating. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jeremy, I think you can see how she and I took two hours on the telephone. <laughs> yes, just, I can. Just we're, like, we're just getting warmed up. Right? I was going to say, like yeah, I could, I could continue this as well. I do have, I do have one request, Shauna, from you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I did a little research on you, and I watched some of your videos and so forth. And since this is our 100th episode of doing this for our CRNA community, of which I am not a CRNA, mm -hmm. um, but I've been around CRNAs for 20-plus years, I was wondering if you would confirm me as an honorary nurse. <laughs> okay, you ready to take the oath? I'm ready. Let's do this. I? I? Jeremy. Jeremy. 
am committed to. Am committed to. Making sure that people have the very best care possible. Making sure that people have the very best care possible. That's right. And so, you know, now you can go around and tell people that you too are a nurse. You're a so nurse. I'm, I'm glad that you looked that up because that's really go. fun. And yeah. I hope that, you know, um, gotcha. I'm curious from this, you know, I just want to flip this around. I want to say, first of all, congratulations to you guys for getting to a hundredth episode. It takes an enormous amount of work and commitment and risk taking to come out and put this stuff together. I am such a fan. I really oh, appreciate the content that you put out, the energy that you put out, the optimism, the uplift. I love your sassiness, Sharon. You know, and the two of you are, are really, really, really playful. So and I'm uh, I, I think that your audience wants to know. So what have you got planned for what's what's you know, as you've you've learned a lot. I'm curious what you've learned. And then what's next? What can I'm one of your audience members. What can we look forward to? What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I think we got a lot that we're, I mean, you know, we're trying to really, really break into the top 10 of medical podcasts. That's our goal. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we'd like to be number one, but, you know, you might be there with us. So you might be number one. We'll be number two. How about That's that? It. You know, uh, I would be happy to be number two <laughs> behind you from the standpoint, you know, and the thing is, is that there's a lot of content out there. There's yeah. not a lot of good content out there. There's not a lot of uplifting content out there. And so I think that what I'm hoping, you know, one of the goals that I had with putting together See You Now is I want to see more. There's so many great stories out there. I can't tell them all. You can't tell them all. Right. Right. Exactly. And so if this gives people the courage and a format I'm hoping that I'm going to learn a lot. I'm, I'm looking forward to new storytellers, and I, I want to learn from them as well. So I'm hoping that people are going to jump in, and we're just going to be in this ocean, you know, that it's it's going to be one of those problems of, like, where do I find the time to listen to all this great stuff? Well, we have stories of, of life-changing things that have happened on our podcast. Yes. and. You know, that really hit home with me, Sharon. I don't know. I know exactly what you're talking and, about. And, you know, I'm not sure oh, we can really I, talk about uh, it. But uh, it's, it's uh, no, I exactly. I mean, the feedback that I get from listeners, I've had people reach out to me and say, I was about to leave the career. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know that there were people out there doing this work. We've had people who have different conditions who will write and say, I was able to follow up with the program that you focused on. Um, we did one on human trafficking. Oh, I and remember is, that one. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so not only is that program that Danielle Bastine putting together, but then other hospital systems are putting that together. And we've had people reach out to us to say, I was one of those people. And the program that you put in place, we're seeing things with school nurses right now where they're making a huge difference in the lives of families. So as much fun as this is, yeah. which, you know, it should be fun. We're saving lives. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that Literally. might sound, it's, it's, yeah. mm -hmm. it sounds dramatic because it is dramatic. It is. And, and, and you know, I mean, I, I guess we can say this. I mean, there was a, a listener who was going through a really rough time and mm -hmm. um, was going to take their life and heard yep. one of our podcasts and didn't. And, uh, you know. That, yeah, well, I, I want to give I a shout get, out. I still get Shout out to Judy. Yeah, right Judy now, Davidson, so, who's um, been doing amazing research on nurse suicide. Yeah. and addressing the mental health pandemic. And so we do, I mean, and it's, this is a very, it's a life or death, very serious matter. And so this work that we do, yeah. it matters. And it um, I, I just, I am so proud of you guys. And I am so honored and grateful that you thought to include me in this 
And I'm hoping that some of these ideas, that they plant seeds. Um, and people, you know, I, I'm available. Tell me what you want to do. And here are the people that I know. Here's some of the things that I'm doing. How can that be in service of a problem that you're trying to solve in a way that you're trying to innovate? Yeah, I love that, that you're a connector Absolutely. as well. I mean, well, Sharon, you've you, always been like that as well. Well, so. you just wait. Whenever we finally launch the candidate school, when COVID <laughs> is finally over. And, you know, I've always said that nursing problems are not really technical. They're political. But obviously, that's through the lens that I look through all the time. But right. Shauna will be right there helping us get that oh, yeah. out. I have yeah. zero doubt about that. Beating the door down, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shauna, as we conclude, is anything mm-hmm. you want to kind of leave our audience with? I mean, we, we've talked about a lot today, and I just wonder what you would kind of want to say to them. Well, what I tell people all the time is, you know, do not wait for permission. Do not wait for instructions. You need to be bold and proceed until apprehended. Oh, mm. like that. Wow. <laughs> Wow. I know that Sharon that. would not have any problem with this. <laughs> oh, no. I think I think that's great. I love oh, that. Wow. Well, Shauna, we really, really want to thank you. We're so grateful that you did our 100th episode with us. When Sharon told me about it, I mean, we both got excited. I think it's just amazing the work that you're doing and the people that you're helping, you know, not only through your podcast and the videos that you do and all the other stuff. I mean, you know, you're a connector and uplifter you're really doing good for nursing in general and that's all across the board and that's very evident in just meeting this the first time I've met you and I can just tell that you know you do have a passion and a heart for this and we want to thank you for being on with us and thank you for all that you're doing oh my pleasure and the next time we do this in person Oh, oh, you know what? We're going to be in Austin for the ANA meeting, so we are going to take you up on that. Yes. Absolutely. Hopefully yeah, I was we will say, be. I we'll, we'll, we'll do some weird things here in Austin. You know, How's they, they kind of keep it weird down there is what I hear. Oh, absolutely. I, like, I'm not, I I'm not pulling my yeah, my weight on that. My, I have many neighbors who are <laughs> doing a much better job on the weird stuff. Uh, well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. 100 in the books. Hard to believe. Well, we want to thank our listeners to listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show, want to know more, the one way you can help us is to tell other people about the show. And remember, always leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity out there. It's a wrap. Till next time. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. 
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.